When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It is 8.30 on Tuesday, August 1st. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, statewide temperatures continue to rise, raising concerns for heat-related illness when outdoors. Then a recent article from the Associated Press looks at the deadly link between tornadoes and manufactured housing. Plus, experts at the March of Dimes say access to maternal health care is a crucial yet scarce thing in the South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Temperatures across Mississippi are reaching into the triple digits. The extreme heat is prompting reminders to drink plenty of water and seek shade when possible if outdoors. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with meteorologist Nicholas Finner with the National Weather Service in Jackson. The southern part of the United States is really going to be under the uh, gun for the heat the next few days, probably lasting into the weekend as uh, strong high pressure combined with humidity coming off the Gulf of Mexico it's going to lead to some dangerous heat index values up to around 110, 115 for parts of the region, uh, like I said, through the weekend. Gotcha. And do you know, I just got off the phone with someone who said they think this might be the hottest week of the year. Do you know if that's true? I don't know that to be a fact. It's, it possibly is. Uh, we've gradually seen more and more of the area approaching the 100 degree mark uh, for our high temperatures the last few days. And with this ridge of high pressure moving overhead, we do anticipate that, um, you know, probably many places in our area will see 100 degrees for their first time uh, for the year and could even see in several days up around that range. And that's without any indication of uh, the, the combined effects from the humidity either. We had some rain a couple days ago. Is that contributing? Is that helping at all? Or is that almost making it worse, do you think? We actually had been seeing these high temperatures uh, creep up recently, like I said, to around 100 degrees. Um, but with the addition of better humidity into the air, some of that coming off of the rain that we saw a few days ago, it may actually contribute to the heat stress that we are seeing. Any amount of humidity that we add back to these type of temperatures really increases the impacts being felt by people. So can Mississippians expect some relief in the next couple weeks, or is those high numbers here to stay for a while? What do you think? Unfortunately, we are stuck in summer for a little bit longer here. But we are expecting that by the time we get to late this weekend and the weekend, increased chances for rain may bring at least some relief to the heat and definitely uh, for parts of the area each day. 
While most people have retreated indoors to escape the heat, work crews have continued their labor in the ever-rising temperatures. Along roadways, crews from the Mississippi Department of Transportation are doing their jobs in what is already a dangerous work site. Spokesperson Michael Flood says the heat adds a new level of danger. Every morning, our crews that work outside, we have uh, morning safety huddles is what we call them. They're really just uh, quick briefs to kind of discuss the day's work, weather, and, and that kind of thing, especially on hot days and weeks that we have like this. Uh, heat-related safety is, is discussed at length, and, and they go over things like, you know, what kind of things to look for for heat-related illnesses, how to identify and, and prevent such uh, things like heat strokes and heat exhaustion, even cramps and sunburn and uh, heat rashes as well. So just that kind of things talked about, you know, how to react to these issues, like call, you know, 911 immediately if, if the heat stroke is suspected and uh, move that person to a cooler place, help lower their temperature that kind of thing. But we also go um, over how to prevent uh, these kinds of illnesses from happening. And uh, we've got all kinds of checklists there on what to do, what not to do. Yes, it is, uh, you know, growing, uh, this growing concern amongst our safety community here in MDOT. Um, every one of our districts has a, a head safety officer that checks to make sure, you know, all of our district crews are, are doing all of these things, um, especially this time of year. And uh, this does seem like it's going to be the hottest week of the year. Uh, and I know that our crews are trying to get everything done maintenance-wise on the side of the road as soon as possible uh, during these hot days to get it done at an early enough hour uh, before it gets too hot late in the afternoon. But, yes, it is something that we discuss every morning and, and make sure that our guys and, and gals are safe and cool out there. Talk to me a little bit about how this changes the schedule. I know you said something about how you guys operate earlier in the day to kind of avoid those crazy midday heat waves. So not so much on the construction side. Um, you know, construction contracts are pretty much set in stone, and and contractors have to make those deadlines or they'll be uh, fined or that kind of thing. But, yes, with our maintenance crews, absolutely uh, it does impact their schedule uh, in ways that, you know, like getting started earlier is a big way to kind of beat the heat a little bit. And uh, and also we just we want to make sure that everyone takes much longer breaks and takes extra breaks, and, and we also allow them more time to get adjusted to the heat, you know, early in the morning. So, And some of those other things, you know, we provide every crew with water, Gatorade, plenty of liquids, that kind of thing, but each crew will have their own cooler. And in addition to the longer breaks, we give them more time to get adjusted to the heat. And then PPE is very important uh, with any safety a- aspect, uh, but especially when it comes to, to excessive heat like this. So uh, lightweight PPE, like we have cooling vests, uh, rim hats and like you know net gaiters and umbrellas that uh, if you see a lot of our crews putting down asphalt and that kind of thing um, a lot of them will have umbrellas shading them uh, they're also taught how to utilize shade as ppe on the job so you know we want to make sure everyone gets adequate amounts of sleep um, avoid drinking too much coffee or soda or energy drinks that kind of thing and again just go over you know which medications may increase uh, heat sensitivity just make everyone aware of that and then these are the kind of things that we talk about every morning at our morning safety huddles so especially this time of year when it comes to excessive heat. So when you're hiring new people, what is your message to new recruits on how to prepare for this level of heat? The main message to new recruits is just to to avoid doing those things that I mentioned, like drinking too much coffee, soda, and and caffeine, and avoid drinking alcohol the night before, Um, things like that that can dehydrate you, know which kind of medications can, uh, that can increase sensitivity to heat and that kind of thing, and, you know, know what's available and take advantage of those things. Um, It's also important to to know what kind of uh, signs to look for, for heat strokes and just regular heat exhaustion, not only in yourself, but your coworkers as well. For instance, like heat strokes, um, you know, hot, red, dry, or dim, um, like a fast pulse, a headache, dizziness, nausea, 
confusion, a high body temperature like 103 or higher, those are signs of a heat stroke. Uh, heat exhaustion would be, you know, excessive uh, amounts of sweating, cold, pale, or clammy skin, you know, fast, weak pulse, um, and then nausea and vomiting, muscle cramps, dizziness, headache, fainting. Those are some signs to look for when it comes to heat exhaustion. But it's not just our MDOT crews. You know, this is uh, anyone that works outside this time of year. I'm hoping um, anybody, whether it's a MDOT crew or, you know, power line crew or, or just a yard crew, we hope that everyone takes this seriously. To take this opportunity to remind everyone it is construction season, it's maintenance season. Um, you're going to see lots of crews out and about this time of year. You know, we're entering August. Uh, that, that work that you see out and about on our highways is not going to slow down anytime soon. So please keep that in mind and just be be aware as you're entering work zones. Um, you know, give them enough room to complete these jobs. Uh, know that they're out there working in these heats and, and keeping these roads safe and passable for us so we can utilize them every day. Michael Flood, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, Lacey, thank you. Coming up, people who live in manufactured housing are at a much higher risk when in the path of a tornado. That's according to a new report. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio airs local programs every weekday morning at 9. It's your chance to learn about Southern cooking, home improvement projects, and more. MPB Think Radio, Mississippi is our mission. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. A new report by the Associated Press finds that tornadoes are disproportionately killing people who live in manufactured homes. Several outbreaks of tornadoes ripped across parts of Mississippi early this summer as major weather patterns shifted. In the wake of the destruction, many homes were gone, but mobile homes were much more likely to be linked with a death. Our Kobe Vance speaks with AP reporter Michael Goldberg about his article. So I was on the ground in Rolling Fork in March. Really from that day forward, we wanted to understand the disproportionate impact that we were seeing on the ground for folks who lived in manufactured homes. And after a data analysis, what we found is that tornadoes in the United States are disproportionately killing more people in mobile or manufactured homes and often victimizing some of the most socially and economically vulnerable residents. Since 1996, tornadoes have killed 815 people in manufactured homes, representing 53% of all the people killed at home during a tornado. Meanwhile, less than 6% of America's housing units are manufactured homes. So even though these housing units represent less than 6% of the country's total housing stock, the people who live in these units represent over half of the people killed by tornadoes since 1996. That's an astonishing number. What do you think this means for Mississippians who live in these houses that aren't secured to a foundation? Well, it definitely means that Mississippians or anyone, for that matter, who lives in a manufactured home are going to be at an outsized risk for serious injury or death during a tornado. And really, one of the staggering things we found and a really important lens for looking at the sort of disproportionate risk is in manufactured homes, even the weakest tornadoes are killing people in large numbers when they shouldn't be. So 
more than 240 people in mobile homes in the past 28 years have died in tornadoes with winds up 135 miles per hour or less, which is relatively tame for a tornado. So the three weakest of the six categories of twisters would fall into that category. So that's a 79% of deaths at home in weaker tornadoes. Even when a tornado isn't at its most severe, folks who live in homes that are not anchored to the ground like permanent homes are, are going to be at a much elevated risk. What in your findings did you see as some of the major contributing factors to this data? There are a few factors. One is sort of lax regulations in areas that are most affected by the tornado. So federal rules for anchoring, which really makes permanent homes safer, that's what sort of stabilizes a home to its concrete foundation. Federal rules for anchoring only apply in hurricane zones, mostly in Florida. So those are not the areas where tornadoes usually hit. Instead, they hit inland where the weakest federal standards are in places like Alabama, Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas, and Mississippi, where safety and anchoring of mobile homes have the most lax standards. And as far as frequency is concerned, the problem is worsening in the south because tornadoes have been moving sort of more from the Great Plains to the Mid-South in recent decades. And according to experts we spoke to, could continue to do so with climate change as a possible factor. Now, y'all spoke to people on the ground. What were some of the things that you heard? Yeah, so we spoke to several people who survived in mobile homes during the March tornado in Rolling Fork. I spoke to one woman named Ida Cartledge. She and her family survived. It's a family of five. And what she told us was, as you can probably imagine, it was a blur. It was like nothing she'd ever experienced. She, with her husband and three kids, essentially received the warning that a tornado was headed their way in under five minutes before it ended up striking their mobile home. Not enough time to reach any shelters, not that there were any available close to them. As a family, they huddled on the floor of their trailer and eventually the trailer was lifted off the ground from its foundation. She remembers the sound of the wind coming through, windows shattering. It sounded like a train was hitting the trailer, which is what she told me. And the next thing she remembers is being on the ground. And fortunately, she and her family survived, but they are dealing with serious injuries. So you really see the extent to which these storms are unlike anything you can really prepare for, assuming they hit your trailer. Among the people that you talk to, whether it be the people who were formerly victims of a tornado or people who are experts in this field or even um, local officials, have they offered up any ideas for solutions to try to make a safer place? Well, we've certainly spoken to experts, some of whom have been in contact with local and state officials in places like Mississippi and Alabama. And what the experts propose is a solution to this sort of lax state regulation 
uh, issue with respect to anchoring, um, making sure that there are the legal mechanisms in place to compel the companies that make these manufactured housing units to anchor them to the ground, which really does lower the risk of serious injury and death. There is also, of course, longstanding efforts to increase the availability of shelters in some of these rural areas like the Mississippi Delta, where the March tornado struck, have been proposals to not only compel companies who make manufactured homes to anchor them to the ground, but also to include makeshift shelters, whether it be in closets or elsewhere in these units. But as of now, I would say most of the proposed solutions have not been implemented and are really in kind of the ideation phase. Michael Goldberg is a reporter with the Associated Press in Mississippi. Michael, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me, Kobe. Coming up, access to birthing centers is on the decline throughout the Gulf Gulf South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are the cool kids wearing nowadays? A bucket hat and fanny pack. I meant to say a belt bag. That's the 21st century name for it. You can get this MPB branded swag package by making a one-time $60 contribution. You'll also receive a year of PBS Passport to stream new and classic shows. A mix of current and classic. That's Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Make a contribution today at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Healthcare access is becoming more scarce throughout the Southeast, and a new report by the March of Dimes finds around 300 birthing centers have closed in Alabama across recent years. The Gulf States Newsroom's Maya Miller speaks with Honor McDaniel, Director of Maternal and Infant Health Initiatives for March of Dimes in Alabama. She says having access to these birthing resources can help someone have a healthy pregnancy long before they give birth. About 89% of women in rural areas live over 30 minutes from birthing hospitals, and that's compared to 26 of women living in the urban areas. So we know that our women who are living in rural areas are having to drive longer to go to get their prenatal care, to give birth, and to go to their postpartum appointments, which are just as important. So for our women who are living in rural areas, they are having to deal with the fact that they have to walk out a significant period of time to to go get the care that they need. And that's if they have everything else on their side to get them to that appointment, meaning um, child care, uh, transportation, confidence, and even being able to go and feel like it was a productive use of their time and their and the information that they gather. I've also noticed that there are some disparities in prenatal care for moms. Could you talk about that a little bit? So we see a large disparity within our BIPOC community when it comes to prenatal care. 
We have about 4.5% of our BIPOC community receiving no prenatal care in areas where we have high socioeconomic vulnerability. So when we talk about um, vulnerability, we really look at women who are vulnerable to poor outcomes due to where they physically live. So looking at environmental factors like crime rates, transportation, housing conditions, and, and what we see is we see this huge disparity with our BIPOC po population. So we know that where a woman lives is going to affect her prenatal care. When you think about the levels of prenatal care that a lot of parents are unable to get, that also in turn could influence the preterm birth rate. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that prenatal care is very much um, uh, connected to our preterm birth rates. Here in Alabama, we have a very high preterm birth rate. We have a 12.9% of our all of our births are preterm. That's about one in eight women in Alabama who have a preterm birth. And that's scary for a woman, especially if she's living in an environment where she can't receive that adequate care. Um, we also see that playing into the fact that we, uh, we have chronic health conditions here in Alabama that are affecting women. In this report, we see that we have about 45.1% of women having one or more chronic health conditions, which is higher than our US um, average overall, which is around 37.8%. So what we know is that a woman who has one or more chronic health conditions has about a 45% increased likelihood of having a preterm birth compared to those without any chronic health conditions. So we now have high burden of chronic health conditions. We have a high burden around how many women have no access to care. And so we are seeing high rates of preterm birth. And so what are some of those uh, chronic health conditions that could attribute to that? So when you, we think of chronic health conditions, what we think of are hypertension, diabetes, a lot of cardiovascular disease, really that hypertension. Um, and, and, it's, and it's really all about whether a woman is getting care before, during, and after pregnancy. We have to remember that in order for there to be a healthy pregnancy that everyone deserves a great start to life, we have to start with health before pregnancy. That is a majority of where we need to be focusing on, on women getting the health care they need so that they can be healthy before they even get pregnant. We also need to realize that even after pregnancy, women need to be able to get to high quality health care so that they can maintain their health or improve their health before their subsequent pregnancies. Another thing that was interesting in the report was there were about a little, what thing, maybe like 300 birthing center hospital closures. What impact do those uh, closures have on moms, especially in those more rural areas? So we have seen a high number of obstetric units close, and this means that even more women will not have access to care nearby. So if you think about, okay, my nearest obstetrics unit is actually 10 minutes away, and then the next one is actually 40 minutes away after that, if my one that's 10 minutes away closes down, that means my next maternity care center is 40 minutes away. So we are going to continue to see this gap of women driving further and longer, trying to deal with the pressures that come with going to their prenatal care appointments when they are so far away. And were there any other findings in the report that surprised you? The biggest thing that's surprising to me is if we put it in minutes for a mom here in Alabama, on average, our moms are driving 23 and a half minutes to their nearest birthing hospital. You think, okay, that's not that bad, but when you add it up, 23.5 minutes um, there, 
So let's say 25 minutes there, 25 minutes back. That's 50 minutes for a mom just driving. Um, so she's going to have to take off work and find childcare. But then you have to add in the actual appointment. So she has 50 minutes driving to and from. And then probably an hour on top of that for her appointment. So she's now has two hours in her day where she has to find transportation, uh, child care if she has other children, and take off work. And But that's only our average. We actually have women living in counties where the highest travel times um, could be up to 78 minutes. And we know that in our rural areas across Alabama, we have a high percentage of women that live over that 30 minute mark from a birthing hospital, that that 89% of women who live over 30 minutes from a birthing hospital. When you really put that in context to a day and how much that takes on a woman to have a healthy pregnancy, we're continuing to have these conversations about, okay, how do we get women care in a way that promotes healthy and happy births that lead to a great start to life for all of our women here in the state? Honor McDaniel is with the March of Dimes in Alabama. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.